there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Today, I want to share with you what is probably one of my absolute favorite stories in all of the Bible. Um, And the reason being is that it just shows the humanity of Jesus more than probably any other passage I can think of. And so this takes place in uh, John chapter 21. And uh, first, I want to give you some context for it, though, okay? This is about within a week of the resurrection, right? So I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about today because this is a week after Easter. Um, This story takes place within a week of the resurrection. All the disciples have seen the risen Jesus face to face. And then he mysteriously disappears. And then he appears to some of them again, and then he's gone. And so where we find the disciples is that they are sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting. They're like, he's got to come back. He's, of course he's going to come back to see us. We just have to stay here and wait. Have you ever been in a spot like that where you're just waiting and waiting and waiting? Finally, Peter does something here that I've seen uh, a lot of men do in a situation when they're forced to wait on something. We're going to pick it up right here in uh, John chapter 21. Uh, This is starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So, they're waiting. And this is what Peter says. I'm going out fishing. Simon Peter told them, and they all said, we will go with you. See, my dad, he's a fisherman, and that is the way that he relaxes when something is stressful, right? He says, that's it, I'm going to the lake, and he'll jump in the boat, and he'll go out and fish. Even if he doesn't catch anything, it's really, it's, it's a way for him to unwind and relax. This past couple weeks, my mom has actually been in the hospital. Uh, she had uh, gallbladder surgery, and she's doing great now. She's at home. My dad has been with her every step of the way, and as soon as she was feeling good and could be by herself, he's like go into the lake. And that's exactly what he did. He hopped in the boat and he went out to go fishing. Um, And so that's what Peter's doing here. He's like, I'm so tired of waiting. That's it. I'm getting in the boat. I'm going fishing. And so he does. So we're going to pick up here. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. See, that sounds more like a a mat fishing trip, right? Going out and catching nothing. That's more of my speed. Uh, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I love this story so much because, like I said, it showcases the realness and the humanity of Jesus. This isn't the stained glass window Jesus, right? This isn't the felt board Jesus. This is a real person Jesus that you can know. This is, this is, this is somebody reuniting with his friends, right? This is somebody sitting down and having breakfast on the beach. This is the real person Jesus that gets me excited. I, I don't know about you. Um, this past Wednesday, we began our spring study here at Elevate, uh, where for four sessions, we are talking about the personality of Jesus. Uh, a lot of times in Christianity, you know, uh, Christ is in the title. We talk a lot about Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Um, we know him as the forgiver of our sins and all of that great stuff, and that is crucial. But a lot of the times, when we get so far into that, we forget that he was also a person. And that he had a personality, that he was a human being. And so that's kind of what our spring study has been about. And I, I wanted to talk about that here today from the stage on Sunday because of this story right here, John 21, where Jesus reunites with his friends. On our Wednesday study, we talked about the authentic version of something and the knockoff version, right? Um, the authentic version always has the flavor and the personality of the real thing, whereas the knockoff version is always cheaper. The inauthentic version is always cheaper. So for example, we talked about you could have Coca-Cola or you could have Big K gulp bubble fizz cola, right? Now they're both still sodas, right? You can still drink them. They're both flavored the same way, but Coke has the history and the personality and the flavor of authentic Coca-Cola, whereas the other one is 79 cents for a two liter at Kroger. Right, like, like there's a real difference, and the difference is authenticity. Uh, there's another example we did um, here at Elevate. There's a song that we sing, and it is one of my favorites. It's uh, Waymaker. Do we know Waymaker? Um, here's a here's a clip from the concert version of Waymaker. Just take a listen real quick. I worship you. with me in a whole bunch of different ways because it's just listing the wonderful ways that God truly is a way maker. What about this? Anybody ever been to Chick-fil-A inside recently? Not recently. They've done this since the 90s. Chick-fil-A, through their loudspeakers, will play these horrible elevator Muzak versions of popular Christian songs. Were we aware of this? You might be saying... I've heard that somewhere, yeah. You heard it at church, only it's a worse version that you're hearing as you have lunch, right? Like, that's, that's Chick-fil-A's thing, is they play these, like, 
kind of generic versions of popular worship songs. Here's the Chick-fil-A version of Waymaker. Listen, they're both still Waymaker, right? It's both still the same song. It's the same melody, but one lacks the personality and the authenticity of the real thing, right? You could listen to this version and be fine, but why, why would you settle for that when there's a real version that you can sink your teeth into? What about this? You guys know I'm a movie guy. I love cinema. I love movies. Um, there exists an entire industry of filmmakers that create movies just to ride the coattails of actual successful movies. So, for instance, you've heard of the film The Incredible Hulk, but have you ever seen The Amazing Bulk? Because <laughs> that exists, and it is a trip, let me tell you. Um, okay, what about this one? Uh, Kung Fu Panda, Jack Black animated DreamWorks film, or Little Panda Fighter, which... I'm pretty sure you can buy five copies of this on DVD at the dollar store at any given time. So uh, check this out, Jurassic World or Triassic World. It's like, I've heard both of those. Those are both science things. I just slap it on there or whatever. And I tell you, the whole reason these movies exist is because uh, they say, Grandma, I want this movie for my birthday. And they go and they just throw it in the cart and they don't even check on it. Like they, their hope, they, that's their entire market right there. Uh, finally, Harry Potter. This one might be my favorite. The Mystical Adventures of Billy Owens. <laughs> it's like, it's just a little boy, he does magic, I don't know, just slap it a DVD, it's okay. Just, just get, it, get, it, get it out to market. These are, listen, the stories are intentionally similar. They're rip-offs, right? Now, they might be the same kind of general story, but they lack the personality and the authenticity of the real thing. And that's kind of what we were talking about, right? You can have a Christianity where you get the Bible, you can have a Christianity where you have a saving faith in Jesus and where you follow him and where you understand him as Christ. But if you want that faith to be taken to the next level, you've got to know Jesus as a person as well. In Christianity, we have this, it's a little phrase, it's like a bumper sticker phrase that we say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But do we mean that? You can only have relationships with a person. Does that make sense? We can only have a relationship with a person. And the authentic version of Christianity is where we know Jesus as both Savior and human being. So let's get back to the story. Back to John chapter 21. We're going to walk through it in several ways. Let me ask you this question first. Why do you think Jesus decided not to reveal himself to his friends right away? We read the story and Jesus appears on the beach, and he, he doesn't reveal himself to his best friends. You ever thought about that? I was doing some research for this sermon, and there's a lot of different opinions out there. I read in some commentaries, and I read in some, some books where they're like, well, maybe Jesus didn't reveal himself because it was symbolic of the veil being torn, and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe. Or I also saw something about like predestination where it's like, oh, you know, Jesus chooses us, we don't choose him. And I'm like, ah, I just can't get behind that one either. It, it feels impersonal. There's something really personal about this story that transcends theology. And so reading it, I'm going to tell you what I think Jesus is doing in this passage. 
it seems to me that Jesus is almost having fun with his disciples. It seems like he's telling a joke in a way. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? It seems like he's having some fun with his friends. The study isn't really based on these two books, but two books that I highly recommend that I've been pulling from and studying from for this series is one is called Beautiful Outlaw, and it's by John Eldridge, and the other one is called Jesus, the God Who Knows Your Name by Max Licato. And I've been reading those, and there's a passage in Beautiful Outlaw that I'd like to share with you right now, and it's about John 21, and it just hits it out of the park for me. It says this, Notice how casually Jesus enters the scene. His best friends don't even know it's him. This is the resurrected Lord, mind you, ruler of the heavens and the earth. Jesus could have announced his risen presence on the beach with radiant glory. He knows there is nothing in the world that would help his friends more than to see him again. He certainly could have shouted in his commanding way, It is I, the Lord, come thou unto me. But he doesn't. In fact, he does the opposite. He hides himself a bit longer to let this play out. He simply stands on the shore, hands in his pockets like a tourist, and calls out to the fishermen what passers-by often do to fishermen. He says, you catch anything? That is a profoundly human moment for Jesus, is it not? He's standing there, and we, we ask the question, okay, so what, are we in on the joke? Do we understand what's happening? We're going to walk through this, and I, I really believe, man, this shows off the human Jesus like nothing else. You know, we, we, we forget that Jesus was a person. Like we, we know he was here and that he walked among us and that he had a body like we do, but we forget that he was a person and had a personality. He was so, so human. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been really sick? Most of us have been sick, and I don't necessarily mean like literally dying in a hospital sick, but have you ever had a bug that just felt especially terrible? Like maybe you battled COVID recently and you were like, I cannot wait to get over this. And you're just like locked up in your house by yourself. Or maybe you had a stomach bug or maybe the regular flu. Everybody's had some kind of sickness. Um, when I was about 12 years old, we would go camping at uh, Lake Weiss in Alabama. It's not too, too far away, but it's about an hour and a half drive, I guess. And one day, we, my mom and dad and I were driving home and I was in the back seat. And we were about 30 minutes from home and all of a sudden, I hear this noise and it's coming from my body and it goes and I'm like oh no and my stomach just starts grabbing and pulling and I I know I'm gonna be sick and I start sweating and I'm like oh no and when you're a kid you just don't think to say like hey I think I'm gonna be sick can we pull the car over and I just like no it'll be fine I don't want to I don't want to bother mom and dad they're driving right now and so my stomach is going and I'm like, oh, gosh, no, no, no. I start sweating. I feel like I'm just dying. And a, a little 12-year-old me has probably never hurt this bad in my entire life, but I'm going to be sick. And not to be crass, but it's taking the southbound exit and not the northbound, if you know what I'm saying. So we get home, and, and, I, and I run to the bathroom, and I am just super sick, and I just feel like I'm dying, and I just don't know what to do, and I have never experienced this pain before. And I'm pretty sure now it was food poisoning, 
Um, but it was miserable. And afterwards, I just went and I collapsed on my bed and I was laying there and I fell asleep and I was still just so clammy and sick. And about half an hour later, I woke up and whatever it was had like sorted itself out in, inside of me and I felt good, right? You ever, you ever think about that? The, when you're sick, when you're really sick, you know that day or that moment where you're like, this is an improvement. I'm feeling better. And when you feel that, suddenly your attitude adjusts and you go, I'm feeling really good, actually. I was, you know, I was thinking about doing a 5K this weekend and maybe I might get around to that after all. It's never a good idea, by the way. But I was feeling better, right? And, and you, maybe you can relate to that. Like when you are on the upswing, it just improves everything, not just your physical health, but your mental health well. And now I want you to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals huh, of Jesus. I want you to think about this. You have had a terrible week. You were betrayed by your friends. They wouldn't even stay up with you to pray at night. You were arrested unlawfully. You were beaten. You were whipped. You were hurt in ways that you couldn't imagine. Then you were crucified. You were stabbed. And then you died. And then on the third day, life comes back to you, and you are alive again. I imagine that you'd be feeling pretty good, right? It makes the, the, the camping stomach story seem like nothing. Like you are alive again, and you are feeling pretty good. And don't forget, because Jesus is a person, that personality side of him is also feeling really good. And he's like, all right, let's do this. I'm back, baby, and I'm feeling awesome. He is alive and is feeling great. What do you do when you're alive and feeling great? You want to go, you want to go do the things that you didn't feel like doing before. I know that when I'm, when I'm sick and I feel better, the first thing I want to do is I want to go see my friends and family. I want to be like, all right, let's go, uh, you know, oh, I missed that lunch, but we can go make it up. We can go do this. Or like, let's go to the movies or let's go do something. Uh, and we kind of see this in this Jesus story too, don't we? Um, have you ever seen those videos online of like, soldiers returning home from deployment and they see their kids and the kid comes up and they hug them and all that beautiful stuff. Uh, those are great videos and they're tear jerkers. But one thing I noticed is that often when the kid sees the parent for the first time after a while, um, they don't just open the door and walk through the door and get a hug. They usually play some kind of prank on the kid, don't they? They do. And so, for instance, there's one video that's going around right now where there's a kid, and he is, um, he's blindfolded, right? He's in a boxing class, and um, he's sparring, uh, and he's got the blindfold on, and he doesn't actually know that it's his dad who is a soldier that has come home from deployment, and he's sparring with someone he doesn't, he doesn't know who it is, and all of a sudden the dad speaks, and he goes, Daddy? And he pulls his blindfold off, and it's his dad, and it's, it's a beautiful little moment, but you see this all the time where it's like, oh, they surprise them at school, or they do something like that. It's usually uh, follow, it's paired with some kind of practical joke or a prank of some sort. Um, I think that's what Jesus is doing in this passage specifically. What Jesus is doing is almost like an inside joke to his best friends. Do you have any inside jokes with your friends or your family? See, an inside joke is not even really a joke. It's not like a punchline. An inside joke is more about referencing something that you've had a shared experience together an inside joke is about something that you have experienced that your friends also have, and when you reference it, it makes you smile. That's an inside joke. 
Um, one example I can think of is uh, here at Elevate in our office during the week, we have five staff members. It's Kevin, Lindy, Will, Amanda, and myself. Um, that's five of us. Four of us are really big fans of the TV show, The Office. And I know personally I've seen through it about seven times, like, and that's all 100-something episodes. Um, and so inevitably, we will make a joke about The Office. But poor Amanda, she just can't get into it. She's tried, she said, that I, I tried the first season and I didn't like it, so she's never watched any of it. So inevitably, when Kevin and I and Amanda, or Kevin and I or Will and Lindy are making an office joke, Amanda will inevitably be like, is that an office thing? Because I don't understand it. And we're like, oh, you just got to try this. You got to start with the second season and skip the first season because it's garbage and then you'll come back to it later, but that's okay. Like, that's an inside joke that she's not privy to. Um, inside jokes are not really even punchlines. They're just something that you are referencing that you have a shared experience together. We've had the shared experience of seeing the show, so we get all of the inside jokes. So let me ask you this. Is there anything about that Jesus story that sounds familiar? What is happening in the story in John 21 that could be the inside joke, so to speak? What is the shared experience that Jesus and his disciples have lived together? Does it sound familiar? Because it should. Because what it actually is, is an echoing of the story of how some of them first met. This is Luke chapter 5. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to start at verse 4. It says this. When he had finished speaking, he, meaning Jesus, uh, said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So you see, that story is echoing the John 21 story. That was where they first met. And so now I want you to imagine that you are Peter on this boat, and you have been waiting all night for Jesus and you're fishing and you're not catching anything. And then some guy on the beach that you can't even tell who it is, he goes, catch anything? And you're like, no, we're not. And he says, why don't you try the other side? It's like, okay, thanks, guy. I'm sure that'll help. And you put the, the net in the water, and then all of a sudden you're pulling them in. And then it clicks. I've been here before. Wait a minute. That's Jesus. And they turn to each other and say, that's Jesus. I know. It's him. It's him. And pardon the expression, but it's literal here. They go, oh my God, it's, it's God, it's Jesus. He's here, he's with us again. And so the story tells us that Peter jumps out of the boat and he gets all the way to the shore to see Jesus there. And what we see is the reuniting of friends. Have you ever been separated from someone you love for a long time? When you get back together, it's like nothing ever changed but something has because now you, you, you've got this joy and this excitement to see them again. I can just imagine the disciples running up and Peter is soaking wet and he just like tackle hugs Jesus. He's like, it's him, it's really you and he's not, and he's not going away this time. And Jesus, as, as, as a human does, is so excited to see them and he says, hey, let's have breakfast because he's hungry. That little detail right there that Jesus wants to have breakfast with them. It just so many little things in this story add up to say that not only was God, not only was Jesus fully God, but he was fully a human too. One of my other favorite details of this story, and it, it just really makes me laugh, maybe it's just because I'm a dork this way, but 
Um, the, the passage talks about how many fish they caught. 153. You know, sometimes in the Bible, um, the writers of the different books of the Bible, they'll use numbers in different ways. Sometimes they'll use numbers literally, and then sometimes a number is meant to be more of a figurative number, or it's meant, it's, a, it's maybe a turn of phrase in the ancient languages that we don't have, but it's written down as a number. So for example, um, the story says that Jesus fed 5,000, but maybe if there was 5,112 or 4,982, it doesn't actually matter. It's just that there were thousands there. It was an estimation. Or what about this? When the uh, ancientest of manuscripts say something like 40 days and 40 nights, what it usually refers to is a lunar month, right? So is it 40 or you could count it as 39 or you could count it this way, but the point is that it's, a, it's an expression. Right? And we use number expressions all the time, too. So, for instance, if I say, man, there was 100 people in front of me at Walmart today. I say, well, maybe there was actually 14, but it, it felt like 100, right? That's the point that I'm trying to make. Um, or I waited all day for that phone call. So I didn't wait 24 hours for that phone call. It was actually about 45 minutes. But the feeling is still there. Sometimes we use numbers to estimate. Not in this story. The, the, uh, John right here says that we caught that day 153 fish. Not 152 and not 154. We caught 153 fish. I can just imagine John years after this happens, when he's writing this down or he's telling his scribe to write it down, he says, I will never forget the day that I saw Jesus in the flesh again. I, we, we ran up to him, and he, was, he had already started the fire to cook breakfast, and we were like, yeah, yes, Jesus, hold on, let's start counting these fish. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I can just imagine Jesus going, don't worry about it, it's 153. And the disciples look at each other and go, oh, we've got Jesus back. He's back. We've got him back. And he says, I will never forget the number of fish we caught that day, because that day meant everything to me. 153 fish. See, this story has just so much personality. It has so much of the human Jesus that when I think about it, I think about the humor that he had. I think about the connection that he has with his friends. I think about this reuniting. I think about the 153 fish. And I realize that that is the Jesus that I want to follow, right? That's not stained glass Jesus. That's not distant Jesus that I can't relate to. That's not the Jesus that I have to wonder about. That's not a Jesus that I have to use Elizabethan English to talk to and say, thou art greatest, O Lord, and worried about my great... No, no that's, not, that's not him. This is the Jesus that I can follow. And this is the Jesus that I hope you want to follow too. It's not a stained glass window. It's not a Renaissance painting. This is a real person. We forget about Jesus as a real person sometimes, don't we? It's easy to think of him just as the figurehead of our faith. Um, it's easy just to, to think of him as just Christ, but he is both Jesus and Christ. There's a, in the passage of the book I mentioned earlier, Max Licato's Jesus, the God Who Knows Your Name, he talks about there's a sketch that he keeps in his office, um, and it looks like, it looks like this. It's Jesus laughing. And not just laughing, but he's like 
throwing his head back laughing. Like something has gotten him cracking up. Do we ever really think about Jesus laughing? That he found stuff funny? Do we ever think about all the other inside jokes he might have had with his disciples? You know, the Gospels are written accounts of about three years. Um, there's tons of moments that didn't get written down that did happen, right? And, and not just big miracles either, but little moments between Jesus and the disciples. They were friends. What do you think made Jesus laugh? What do you think made him just throw his head back like in this sketch and crack up? We see in the Gospels, too, that uh, Jesus was very close to his mother, Mary. Um, do you think his friends ever kind of ragged on him for being a mama's boy? For being kind of real close to mom? It's like, oh, there's Mary again. I knew she'd be around. It's like, stop, guys, come on. Cracking up, teasing them maybe a little bit. Do you think Jesus ever teased his friends over stuff? Not maliciously, but as friends do. I tease my friends all the time. That's how they know that I love them. Do you think Jesus ever did that? Do you think he had a favorite food? I mean, I do. Do you think he had a favorite game? Do you think when he went to bed at night, he had a favorite position to sleep in? I'm more of like a stomach and side sleeper, but maybe, um, maybe you're a psychopath and you sleep on your back, I don't know. But like, do you think Jesus had a favorite position to sleep in at night? Do you think Jesus ever sat his friends down and had heart-to-heart -heart talks with them? Maybe not even kingdom-oriented, big, theological, religious talks, but maybe he sat down with them and checked up on them and said, Hey, James, how are you? Or, Hey, Peter, how's it going? Tell me, about, tell me about what's going on these days. Peter says, Man, it has been a hard couple weeks. He's like, Yeah, tell me about it. What's going on? Have you, you, he had to have, because these are his friends, right? I know you've had those conversations with your friends, and Jesus, because he was a person, had friends, and he had these conversations. You know, when Jesus was crucified, he was 33 years old, and uh, when he began his ministry, he was 30. Do you think Jesus felt weird about turning 30? I'm 29 right now. I turned 30 in July, and it feels weird to me. There's a lot of thoughts that I have about that. A lot of scary thoughts, a lot of exciting thoughts, but still... 30 is a big milestone, and especially in the culture where Jesus was, where age meant a lot of things. You think he felt weird about turning 30? These are the questions that we don't ever ask about the human Jesus. You know, we ask, well, what did Jesus mean about love thy neighbor? What did Jesus mean, uh, you know, how did he turn um, the, the Passover dinner into the Last Supper? All this stuff. Like, we, we get the theological side, but we often overlook the question of the human Jesus. We don't think about it a lot, but we should. We bypass that humanity of Jesus, and what we end up with is a less authentic version of Christianity. Yes, you can still have the saving faith in Christ, and you can understand sin and propitiation and forgiveness and salvation. You can get all of that, and you'll be good. It's enough, right? But I want to tell you that if you want your faith to go to this next level, you have to start looking at, at Jesus as both Christ and Jesus. You have to look at him as both fully God and fully human. And when you do, that becomes a Jesus that you can really follow. That becomes a Jesus that it doesn't feel awkward to talk to. 
Here, what about this one? That becomes a Jesus that you want to tell people about. That becomes a Jesus that changes your life. It's the real deal. And you know what? There's a, there's a trend in kind of Christianity right now. Um, and I say trend as if it's new, but there's nothing new under the sun. It's actually kind of repackaged like Gnosticism, where you know Jesus was this great human being and that the Christ was like, it's almost, it sounds like the force in Star Wars, where it's like this, this energy field that goes through all things and whatever. And I hate this. Not only is it just biblically just a disaster, um, and theologically makes no sense, and historical Christianity has rejected it, but it's this idea of separating Jesus from the Christ. That like, like oh, he was a great person, and that Christ was the separate thing. That's like, no, you are missing one of the most beautiful things about Christianity. In fact, I would say it is the point of our faith is that God dwelt among us as one of us. He was fully God, and he was fully human. He did not sin, and he was perfect, but he was still a human being, just like you and me. When you try to dissect the two, it, it, it doesn't work. Jesus had this compassion of both God and human being at the same time, and he went through all the same trials that we go through. He, he, he experienced all the hardships of life that we do. Uh, he, he had heartbreak. He was hungry. He got thirsty. He was tired. I love reading in the Gospels where Jesus preaches a huge sermon, uh, and then he's like, okay, I need to take some me time. And he gets in the boat and goes across the bay or something or goes off and has some private time by himself. I know as soon as I get done here, as soon as I get done here today, I'm going home to take a nap, right? Like, I totally, I get that. Jesus grew tired because he was a real person. And that's just, I really just want to drive that home for you today because, like I mentioned at the beginning, you can't have a relationship with an idea. You can't have a relationship with a religion. You can't have a relationship with a concept. You only have relationships with people. And I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. And I know you've probably heard that in church before. You've heard that from your Christian friends. But I want you to have this relationship with not just the Christ Jesus, but the person Jesus as well. Because he is the best friend you'll ever have. He's the best mentor you'll ever have. God as father is the best father you'll ever have. And the Holy Spirit is your best counselor you can ever have. You can ha and these are all people, right? God is a person, not just a religious concept. He's a person with a personality. It's the fullest expression of Christianity to know Jesus as a person. I want to ask you, as I wrap up today, do you know him? Not do you, not are you a Christian? I, I want to kind of transcend that a little bit. Not ask you if you have checked all the right boxes and you've been baptized and you've received communion. And I, I, not, you know, do you have proper understanding of theology? Because a lot of us do. But do you know Jesus as a person? Do you know him as a friend, as a savior, as a mentor? Do you know Jesus?
Because I promise you, once you do, your faith is taken to the next level. And if you don't, you can just ask him. You know, you don't have to, it's not, you don't have to pray a complicated thing and be like, okay, now I'm going to shift gears between the Christ Jesus and the person Jesus. No, you can just be like, Jesus, I've known you as Christ for years, but now I want to know you as a person. Ask him. Ask him. Hang out with him. Have you ever thought about that? Hanging out with Jesus? Talking to him like a person? Because you can do it. You can do it starting today. And so as I wrap up, we're going to pray together. And I'll, I'll lead us in the prayer, but what I really want you to do so I want you to close your eyes, and as we pray together, I want you to think about, this is a person I'm talking to. This is a real person that hears what I'm saying. It's not just a distant, religion, a distant religious figure. It's not just an idol in a building somewhere. This is a person who hears me, who knows me. Jesus truly is the God who knows your name. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.